Jeffrey, you shouldn't do this. Why not? Because it's crazy. <laughs> and dangerous. My God, I should have never told you. I'll be all right. I don't think you should stay here, though. I think you should go home. Can you drive this car? Yeah, I'll but leave I Leave it in front of your house for me, okay? Okay. I'm going to wait here until she comes. Sandy. I'm going to honk four times. I'll go one, two, three, four, and then you'll hear it and you'll know she's on her way up. Okay. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. No, it's for me to know and you to find out. Episode 106 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Got any show news? Show news this week? Uh, show news, uh, go Hawks. Uh, second thing, I don't know, I'm not really a grammar Nazi, but I always found when people say numbers that the word and should only be used to designate the decimal point. So when people say 106, they shouldn't say 106. Do you like, have any strong feelings about that? I know I get annoyed when I write a check and I have to write like 150 and 50 cents. But there shouldn't there shouldn't be an ad between 150. It should only be an ad between and 50 cents. Okay. Sounds like a good convention. I'll buy in. I'm no, I'm you. just surprised. Somehow that was drilled into my head, and for some reason I just find it annoying when people don't follow it. The guy that hosts Science Friday, I don't know his name. Oh, I am so sick and tired of Science Friday. The guy who hosts it is a fucking dipshit. Do you listen to that radio <laughs> show on, uh, or podcast? No. Uh, oh, you don't? No, it's, no. It's, You're not well, missing out on anything. They need... love to get like a couple scientists on the show and like uh, do two-minute interviews, and then they take questions from fucking dipshits in the public uh, for ten minutes. It just blows God. my mind. You know, I've taken enough science in my life and done enough science that I don't need pop science supplements, I've realized. I don't need uh, – I think it satisfies a certain fantasy that the layman may have about cool things uh, scientifically based that mm. has been sort of beaten out of me. Like I know Joe Rogan goes on about science stuff. And you can tell he just kind of speaks with dazzled eyes and uh, just sort of euphoric positivism. <laughs> about I know you spend any time in those trenches, you know it's mostly just a bunch of claptrap barely put together when it works. Uh, well, it, it, it's not even even if you do get something whiz bang, the amount of time you have to invest into a scientific endeavor is so excruciating, so lengthy, so filled with failure. That by the time you actually get something that 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 may surprise somebody, you just fucking had it. It's just the magic is gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> it takes a certain personality to really enjoy that. I don't know what it is, but I've lost any interest in it. Let's put it this way: I know a lot of astrophysicists. None of them read uh, like pop science or pop physics. They're not. Uh, they don't have a subscription to Omni. Yeah. Exactly. I, no. It's just it. Yeah. It's all math and 
minutia, and it's just you know whatever. So oh, like I listen try to, to watch, that kind of uh, stuff, I can't stand. I like try, I try to watch um, Nova. Oh, I don't know if it's gotten worse. I think it's gotten worse since I was a child. But God, that that show is so bad. Yeah, it got bad, didn't it? I, it's I, just I, terrible. Now it's like they're trying to do something like the Discovery Channel. And the next thing they're going to have the guys from uh, Duck Dynasty come on and talk about uh, 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 acoustic uh, oscillators. Oh, fucking Duck Dynasty! You know those guys are a bunch of phonies. You know they're just. I a heard bunch they of only grew beards when they got hired for the show. Before they were just like regular business guys. That shaved. Yeah, I saw pictures of them like on the beach on vacation. They're all in like white press shorts and polo shirts. With their, uh, you know, white bread, uh, upper crust family. Uh, they're just total imposters. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, Jesus anyway. Christ. Those fucking people. All right. Let's get to our movie this week. Uh, our movie this week is the David Lynch cult classic, Blue Velvet, plot rundown. Kyle MacLachlan stars as Jeffrey Beaumont, a square-jawed young man who returns to his picture-perfect small town when his father suffers a stroke. Walking through a field near his home, Jeff discovers a severed human ear, which he immediately brings to the police. Their disinterest sparks Jeff's curiosity, and he is soon drawn into a dangerous drama that's being played out by a lounge singer, Dorothy Valens, and the ether-addicted Frank Booth. The sociopathic Booth has kidnapped Dorothy's young son and is using the child as a bargaining chip to repeatedly beat, humiliate, and rape Dorothy. Though he's drawn to the virginal wholesome Sandy Williams, Jeff is also aroused by Dorothy, and in trying to aid her, he discovers his dark side. As the film nears its conclusion, our hero learns that many more individuals are tacitly involved with Frank, including a suave lip-singing singer, Ben, who is mining the kidnapped boy. So, that's a, that's a pretty good summary. I mean, it even gets into some of the uh, character arcs in the movie, which are are sort of disturbing so to to get into the book keeming here I, i've seen this movie a million times but i i was trying to focus on the plot like i i've been known to do on this podcast okay not to really slow it everything down but let me just get the plot right so the yellow man is yeah. a undercover police agent who is somehow exposing the frank booth uh, I guess drug angle. I, what am I missing? Uh, he may be undercover, or he may be. Uh, uh, he's uh, Detective Gordon, Detective yeah. Williams' partner. Um, it's yeah, not. It's not. It's not actually clear in the movie. Okay. My feeling is that, uh, especially when the, the behavior of uh, Detective Williams uh, when he gives um, Jeffrey some fatherly advice, that in fact. Uh, Detective Gordon is undercover as the yellow man. He's uh, basically a bad cop. Oh, he is a bad cop then. That's okay, that's so. my feeling I get from the movie. But he's not uh, yeah, infiltrating it. He's just taking money. To, and he's he's their enforcer. He kills that one drug dealer and breaks that one prostitute's legs. Right. Okay. So I can't believe... I mean, you. I mean, as an undercover agent, you may have some license to kill somebody, but... Uh, I think I don't think so. I think he was basically their ability to use muscle without any uh, uh, conflicts with the cops. The awesome still life scene at the end, which is just a total Lynchian moment there. The one that's the same as in the beginning, you mean? 
Uh, no, no, no. When uh, Jeff goes into Dorothy's apartment and there's the mm. uh, half-dead standing yellow man. Yeah, it's like his higher brain function's been destroyed. It's just, and why he's still standing, that's like the awesome part I bet of there's probably stories of like in war where somebody's basically turned into a vegetable that somehow has uh, the ability to continue to balance. Right. Yeah, I, I, it's really it's just, disturbing. And well, I like how he like uh, when the radio goes off, he like bats the bats it down. That's just a fucking brilliant little bit there. Uh, I mean, to to add that kind of <laughs> dynamism to uh, uh, a scene like that is just oh, it, it sparks it, the imagination. It's crazy because you're. It's also like, the first time you see Donnie. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I couldn't figure out what had happened there. Obviously, Frank did whatever happened there, right? I mean, or Ben, he, uh, Ben. Oh, the Ben. Yeah, you Ben. I mean, ben he was it? watching. I mean, Ben obviously was a sociopath as well. But do you think Ben shot the husband? Oh, you mean what happened at Dorothy's apartment? Yeah, not, what you mean happened what happened there? to not what not what was the various. Uh, acts of violence done upon Donnie. I couldn't figure. I'm out not what's sure going on exactly there. what happened there. I mean, why was that place left in such a case? I mean, obviously, um, that night the cops are going over to raid Frank's place, yeah. and uh, that's why uh, Gordon was talking to D- uh, Detective Williams. We got to get a move on or about having this raid. So if Gordon was a bad cop, he was the yellow man, that means Frank would have been tipped off to the raid. So Frank had time to put on his well-dressed man. Yeah, well-dressed man, right. And get right. out of there. Right. So maybe, I'm thinking maybe F- Gordon led Frank away and they went over there and something yeah. bad went down. And then maybe Frank, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why Frank ended up coming back. It's, it's not clear. I don't, I don't think it's meant to be clear. Yeah, I, I don't think, well, it's not the most important part of the, the film, no, I, don't, I don't really feel a driving need to know the particulars about how the yellow man and, and Donnie got into uh, that situation where they're both yeah. basically dead. I guess it's not that important. So, a little background. This is obviously a, a proto-film, uh, or a proto-setting-the-stage uh, for Twin Peaks, because it has so much Twin Peaks stuff going on in it. You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever seen this movie all the way through until I viewed it this morning. What is wrong with you in, like, watching half of movies? I don't get that. Well, you do I'm that a lot. I'm fucking lazy, man. You can't, you know how can you, well, how can I'm you lazier than the dude. How can you be that lazy? Well, and to bring up a movie, it's like, oh, this is a really good movie. I, it's, it has some cool stuff in it. And then we watch it, and he goes, yeah, I didn't finish it. I always wonder. I was wondering what, at what point do you turn it off? And I, got a, I got a short man. I was raised on the MTV video games. I got a short attention span. I'm easily. That's one yeah, reason. That, but, right, that's why I do this podcast. I I can't. I mean, I was watching the first thirty minutes of Blue Velvet, and the first three minutes are sort of slow. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of set in a mood, and it's I don't know. It's a little boring. Okay. And you know, if if I didn't like, I, it wasn't that I had to watch this. Not only do I have to watch it, but I have to pay attention and think about it and understand it. I can't half-ass it. If it was just me today, because I was sort of feeling out of it today, you know, work week and everything, I probably would have blown it off. Really, but I'm forced to do it for the podcast, and then once I get past that motivational issue, then I really enjoy it. But and the it's a thing, great film. the thing is, is 
you put me through and you watch what I consider to be drivel or mm-hmm. things that are, you know. Uh, like Wet Hot American Summer, which you didn't like. No, I'm thinking like um, even even Dead Alive. I, I, I mean, it was okay, but I would have turned that movie off halfway through it. I just would have. Oh. I just would have like, yeah, I get, I get what this is doing. I'm kind of done with it. So, you know, no thanks. And then Why I'm do I find that more entertaining? I, I don't know. I think well, I how just can like, you stick like... with it? How can you stick with it? it, it there's no mystery to it. It's got bright, it. flashy lights. Yeah, but there's no mystery in it. There's no intrigue. There's no um, what the fuck is going on. There's no, uh, you know, that that's what keeps me going in films is is being teased along with a reveal or a new insight or, you know, uh, some character development. I don't know. Uh, I think I, mean, I, I think I'm more a fan of the physicality of films, that what is happening on the screen at that moment, not some. Well, I enjoy thinking about it. I think on a basic level, when I'm in the moment enjoying a film, I like a film that's more immediate. Well, I mean, I mean Big Lebowski. I like, no, I like Big Lebowski because Big Lebowski. Excuse me, Big Lebowski's like that. It's it's, it's all vignettes. It tees it. You know, it has little. You could watch one little scene and, and be satisfied. Uh, it has all that. Well, I think uh, the Big Lebowski is one that it, it, it speaks to both of us. But it's not always the case that one film speaks to both of us. I mean, a lot of times they just speak to me and lot, sometimes they just speak to you. I just find that so... I guess maybe that's just the, the, the difference between the two of us that you that you just... I don't know. I got, just, a, I got a little more of a lowbrow sensitivity, more of a base. Uh, I mean, I, that speaks to me. Yeah, more. but you but you totally appreciate a film like this, right? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Once but you get I'm to the just end saying of it. from a, but it doesn't mean I enjoy it while I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, sure, I guess. But this film does have, I mean, I, it does deserve repeated watchings for. Well, it certainly does. But the first half hour is a little slow. All right. I mean, I so get it's. That. I mean, a lot of times I got to get into the film, and then I can't be distracted by other things. So when I'm watching a film for the podcast, I got to be careful to remove distractions from my life i gotta turn the volume up really loud close all all the shades so just my methodology mark uh the first first time you've seen it all the way through i guess either that or i must have been high or something because i do not remember (laughs) i didn't remember any of the movie after uh they take uh frank takes um jeffrey out and beats the shit out of him in it in the lumber yard oh okay i don't remember anything after that because who i could have passed out i don't know uh, well, that's getting on in the film, right? I mean, there's a few yeah. events that uh, that's kind of the. I mean, that's the big, the big uh, Frank Booth set piece. That whole scene uh, where yeah, yeah, he takes uh, you know he he grabs him from the apartment where he catches him walking out, and then basically takes him captive for the evening until he ends up beating the shit out of him in the lumber yard and scaring the shit out of him. Yeah, so, but there's some pretty disturbing stuff after that, and I did, had no recollection of that. You know another thing I have no recollection of? And it's weird. In this case, I have no recollection of it watching this film. And I, after I got done and I was grabbing drops, I was trying to find it, and I couldn't fucking find the scene where somebody throws a can at Jeffrey's head and then yells at him. Is that not in this movie? Is that from another movie? Yeah, man, I I, I don't. I, another David Lynch film? Or Isn't there just a, a, I thought there was a scene in this movie where somebody throws an empty beer. Oh, that's from a different got, movie. I'm thinking movie? of uh, being John Malkovich. 
<laughs> fuck, man. Now, there's a movie I've totally forgotten. Uh, <laughs> that's it, it was way too high concept and indie and quirky. It, it, it just, it, it, uh, I don't want to talk about it here, but it, 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 to me, that's just a little bit too over the top, quirky indie, a little too, uh, Tim and Eric for me. And sometimes there's another aspect of film. Sometimes I like them to be painful. I like them to be bad. I like them to want to hurt me. I I tell the film, I I ask the film, hit me. Hit me, film. Hit me. (laughs) You know, then it hits me and I get a big woody. Uh, What can I say? Okay, so like I was saying, this is sort of a pre-Twin Peaks because it has even some of the shots are the same. Like you see diners with a logging trucks passing in front of them. Uh, oh, you yeah, see that. Yeah. Uh, down at Arlene's. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, I would. I was watching this, and I was thinking David Lynch is like a little Wes Anderson before Wes Anderson. And I say that uh, f- for a specific reason. It's magical realism is what David it Lynch is, is serving up without here. The, without the preciousness of Wes Anderson. Right. Without it's not twee like Wes Anderson stuff. You know, that's all kind of it's like dollhouse magic. Uh David Lynch creates I guess an amalgam of decades, which is sort of an interesting this movie's set in the eighties, I guess. You know, yeah, I think it's set around eighty, mid eighties when it was filmed. I'm trying to figure out what part of the country is it set in. Do you, uh, do you know where it was actually Filmed? Yeah, I looked it up. It was filmed in in North Carolina, strangely. Okay, that would explain the W-O-O-D name of the radio station in town. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that, but you're right. Uh, I thought it was like Minnesota at one point, but no, it's it's weird thinking of logging occurring anywhere else but the Northwest, because that's where we live, and, uh, you know, logging is just part of part of the landscape up here literally so warehouser our future is growing that's right so down in in north carolina uh which is strange i never think of the south as having a ton of pine forest but yeah there's a lot of pine forest in the south so you never saw logging wars on tlc oh, fuck. i don't know it's duck dynasty did they do a duck dynasty crossover uh, yeah, du- yeah they called they have a like a tree call oh, okay all right I don't know. all right unless duck dynasty was involved i didn't see it so Big fan. Anyway, um, yeah, so it was filmed in North Carolina, uh, but it has these elements that Lynch has carried on throughout his films, and one of them is just this nostalgia for, like, 50s, 60s doo-wop culture. I don't really know of any other way to, to put it. Just that look, the uh, furniture, the sets, like, like, Dorothy's apartment was just amazing uh, set. It was just the art direction was amazing. You know, um, it looked like some kind of lounge for an old theater, you know, with all the, the crazy furniture and stuff in it. Well, it just sort of felt like an older place. I mean, with the wallpaper, but it was sort of Spartan, but that's sort of how uh, Lynch likes to set his pieces. Well, it wasn't cluttered like anybody would actually live there, you know. That's the, 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 the there's lack of clutter. There's a lack of realism in David Lynch's stuff. So that's why I like to call it magical realism. You mm. know what I mean? No, I think I think that's a I think that's a good term. I mean, this movie's not 
bounded by realism in any way. I guess I had always thought this movie was a little more traditional in the way in the way it presented itself, but it is very dreamlike. Well, there's I mean, weird. It's, it's almost as dreamlike as some of his later films. Well, there's weird stuff. Would you expect sort of a velvet uh, lounge to be just off the road at some roadhouse like that? You know, well, I mean, the town is obviously bigger than some podunk logging town. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, it, it it has kind of a core downtown and obviously seven story apartment buildings and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So, so even though it's called Lumberton, I think there's there's got to be more going on. There. There's no way the lumber industry could be building all those uh, all those all those multi story buildings. Well, sure. I mean, that's it's just it doesn't need description. There doesn't need to. We don't need to know the machinations underneath the uh, uh, set. Really, it's just. Mm-hmm. It, it, you could tell he was trying to figure out Twin Peaks with Blue Velvet. Like he had some ideas that he was like, okay, you know, I like the whole kind of logging sort of blue collar element infused with sort of a weird uh, underbelly that uh, the characters aren't like they have a sense of style about them. Even the villains, he likes all the quirky older women. Yeah, I know that fucking cat house. That's almost a John Waters thing. Oh, with, on top of the car. Yeah, I was totally thinking John Waters. Fucking John Waters. When, like, when that pudgy girl was up d- dancing on top of the car. Let's get some amazing. ugly broads and fill a cat, fill this weird cat house with like a bunch of ugly, like fifty-five year old women. Uh, that'll be weird. And well, you think that? What you think that was a brothel? Yeah, of course it was a brothel. I guess I never saw it as a brothel, but well, yeah, there were a couple of scantily clad women, and there was no, one guy was with just... like a pig mask passed out on a couch. <laughs> I guess I could I... sort of see it being a brothel. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, was it behind the bar? I oh, guess it you must mean have been Ben's place, wherever Ben was yeah. hanging out. I don't know. Like I the bar really was know. a front for the prostitution business, and you could tell Ben was higher than a fucking kite. I don't know if he was actually like Dean Stockwell was high. But That's a fucking amazing like, performance from Dean whoa. Stockwell. That he looked insane. so fucking high, you know. Well, he you looked, saw when he first got up when uh, when Frank got there. He sort of had to steady himself for a while as he stood up. It was a, it was pretty nicely done. Well, he he could tell that he he's so high that Frank he can roll with Frank's punches like probably literally and figuratively. You know, it's like, oh, crazy sociopathic Frank's coming over. Okay, I just need to pop a pill, and I can handle that dude, and no worries. Well, they're so. business partners. Yeah. Because there's but, some exchange of money, and, like, I think maybe um, I make, think maybe he had contracted that hit on that drug dealer through Frank, and that's what he was paying him for when he went by. It's not, not certain, but they're business partners, so Frank's not going to, you know, bite the hand that feeds him literally pops pills in his mouth so he probably keeps frank you know full up in his drugs and he pays him for jobs every once in a while so frank's not gonna fuck that guy up but frank will fuck anybody else up so let's get to the heart of the film which is frank uh unlike a lot of later lynch films that really gets into surrealism and disjointed plot structure and you know uh, fucked out, far out, mind blowing uh, plot reveals and all that stuff. This movie is pretty straightforward. We well, meant- why don't we start with just listening to a bit of a rant from? Frank. All right, let's listen to some Frank. 
Oh, mommy. 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 Mommy loves you. Baby wants to fuck. Get ready to fuck. You fuckers, fucker. You fucker. Don't you fucking look at me. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty amazing scene. So. When, when uh, Jeffrey first sees Frank, that is just. That just. I mean, this movie is. It's sort of like it's a couple of kids having fun in this film, and there's some sort of darkness, but you don't see it. And then as soon as he gets in that fucking closet, it's just like he goes down a deep, dark hole. And it just blows it blows you away when Frank comes in and just starts fucking chewing up the scenery. So the character of Frank, uh, pure fantasy, or is there any way in hell... Uh, well, I hey, guess. here we go. Here a we go. psychosis and a just a second. Hold, hold it. I got a question for you. All right, it's one of two questions. I, I think this is the perfect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a character from the film ask you that question. Okay, go ahead. Why are there people like Frank? Why is there so much trouble in this world? <laughs> so, Matt, why are there people like Frank? And why is there so much trouble in this world? And I'll hear your answer, and then we'll see what the what the uh, the film had to say to answer that question. Well, my first answer would be another question would be. Are there, could there ever really be people like Frank in the world? And when I say that, I don't mean archetype. I mean specifically character-wise. Could there ever be somebody with that kind of uh, unhinged kink in his personality? I don't know. I, I, and people are fucked up, but... Yeah, I, it'd be pretty tough in the in the position Frank's in. You could do it if you were extremely wealthy and that way you could basically surround yourself uh, with, uh, I mean, you see some people who get extremely wealthy, like, you know, um, princes of Saudi Arabia and whatnot, basically do whatever they want. Sure. Because there's really, there's no way that any consequences can work this way back to them through the insulation they apply around themselves with people and handlers and paying people off. And uh, I think it'd be tough for Frank being sort of a mid-level crook to really be that nuts without well, somebody eventually just shooting him. Where did he come from? What was his major trauma? Uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out. There's a whole bunch of Some, shit Something to do going with his mom, on. I think. Well, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know? Maybe he wants to fuck. Uh, I, I just... it. I watched it and I was like, it's like you said, it's Dennis Hopper chewing the scenery, but it's so, you so surreal. You, you, you don't like Frank? I love Frank, but I don't think he's real. I don't think he ever could be real. Be I tough. guess maybe, I think maybe like, I think the only way you could do it is like some sort of super wealthy person or maybe somebody really young, like in the gang who's like 16 and a nuts. I mean, these gangs go out and they like gang rape women or girls. And I think the thing is you could live like that, but for like nine months before the turnover hits you and some other crazy fucker takes your place. He just seems more, and it's strange because he doesn't do anything uh, fantastic. I mean, in the, in the magical sense of the word, he's not, there's no fantasy going on here, Mm -hmm. but he seems less real than even Batman. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he yeah, so, seems he seems like a complete alien that and that's maybe part of the whole magical realism bit of David Lynch is that he is a character that I don't even know if the world could create 
let yeah. alone put a bunch of people in the world like Frank and, you know, create so much trouble as, as, as Jeffrey was going on about, I would be sitting there going, I don't know, man. I think he's a, a three Sigma personality. I don't think he's what's wrong with the world. I think he's just a byproduct of humanity. It's, it's not a driver by any sense of the imagination. No, I think he's a, an extreme outlier, but I don't think people like him don't exist. I just think I there's, not, not. there's not a whole lot of them, especially in the U.S. where the societal structure is such that it'd be very difficult to behave like that. Well, I just of time. I guess what's so great about Frank is that he's so unpredictable. You know, most shitty douchebag, crazy fucks, uh, you can kind of suss out their modus operandi and then, you know, their pattern of uh, behavior fits into a role that you know, like an FBI profiler could go, oh, yeah, you know, he tortured cats as a kid and his dad raped him or whatever. And you can just sort of, you know, uh, creates this I mean, kind Frank's of deviant personality. He's predictably a nut. I guess. You I guess he's stay a as nut. far away from him as possible. I don't see an interaction that you could come across Frank in your normal life, like at Costco, and have a nice <laughs> right. experience with him. I should invite that go over for uh, the barbecue or my summer barbecue. Well, I just don't think that's possible. You go, holy shit, I got to get away from this guy. If I saw this guy anytime after dusk, I'd be shitting my pants. I, I, it reminds me of another character in the Coen Brothers movie, No Country for Old Men, the Javier Bardem, Anton Chugar, or whatever his name is, that character, who's just such an – he's a competent but psychopathic person that doesn't even seem of this world. You know, Really? He's like incredibly. Frank. Oh, we'll have to do this movie sometimes. I see him as an extremely moral character. Well, he's 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 like the what is he? He's like Two Face in the bat. Is going to back to he's Batman Two-Face. again? Right? Well, yeah, he does. He does this absolutes. Uh, this he whole... lives in a world of absolutes. He's like a monk. He's yeah, like a does very that. religious. Nobody person. does. He just it. has Nobody a different set that. of rules. Nobody does that and gets very far. You know. No. Well, not in certain places. Certainly, it's so, tough to do in the U.S. So with Frank and his perversions, uh, keeping a woman and what, what are his perversions? Let's just list them. Okay. Well, he's an ether addict, so he has. Is I that ether? You... I thought I heard it references amyl nitrate. Well, th- I think that's uh, it was mentioned somewhere in the trivia. I think that oh. that was maybe truly the the, it, the the. I think the summary gets it wrong. I think you're so right. So he's fucked out on ether. Which yeah. we all know its effects from reading uh, uh, *Hunter in Las Vegas*. Yeah, That's yeah. the only time I've ever had ether described in detail. But can you to me. can you can you be addicted to ether? That seems. Kinda... I don't think so, but you certainly could use it all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's like being addicted to like uh, model glue or something. It just so. <laughs> and he's probably popping pills and, and getting okay. So shit. yeah, so no, he's on he's on he's on shit. And he's become infatuated by a local lounge singer so much that he kidnaps her husband and son. And extorts her for sex. And extorts her so he can come over and beat her up and do this like weird mother-child sex role play with her. Right. While he's all hooped up on ether. So that's... That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Well, he's got a motor. uh, Well, he could... I mean, he's obviously obsessed, right? So yeah, he's obsessed part. with her. I mean, he goes to the bar with, a, and he has a piece of her, her velvet evening gown. Is, is that the? That's pretty much his whole perversion. He's a drug dealer, and he lives on the fringes of society. 
He doesn't mind taking people out into the woods and beating the shit out of them. So, so okay. Luke, so let's see what the movie had to say about that question. Okay. Right, Why the people see. like um, Frank out there in the woods? Right, Here's the answer. Let's go. I don't know. Okay, that's mm. how the movie answers that. Yeah, that's a probably a safe answer there. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so there could almost be a, a Blue Velvet prequel, right? Like the whole uh, obsession and kidnapping of Dorothy's family, right? I wonder I if mean, it's in there. I heard the first cut of this film was four hours. Oh, fuck. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Dino De Laurentiis, he hires the best. And uh, he told them he, the he had it written in the contract that the movie could be at max two hours long. So they cut it, it's exactly two hours. Two hours. It's yeah. like two hours well, and one minute. I heard it's one frame under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's David Lynch for you. Yeah. David Lynch will do that shit. If he gets told no, he'll just like fuck with the production house until he just makes it so excruciating. And could you imagine a conversation around a marble table with Dino De Laurentiis with his uh, wide open silk shirt, and his uh, gold chain, sitting there, and on the other side, uh, David Lynch, and they're arguing about the film. I think you're getting Dino confused with uh, Bob Guccione. Oh, I am. <laughs> you're right. I am getting those two conflated with each other. I'm sure they're 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 both uh, upstanding Italian American. That's funny. Uh, I, I keep seeing Bob but... Guccione when I think I of Dino De Laurentiis. That would be a Forget good it. scene, though, like in David Lynch. And well, listen here, Bob. I have a few ideas that are a little different than yours. Oh, you just ruined the fantasy I had while I was watching this film. Budge actually, our friend Will actually uh, met David Lynch recently at some mm. gathering, and uh, of course, because I've always Will sort of had a love hate. It's weird. I think he's coming around with Dave Lynch uh, as of as of recently, but he used to fucking hate. I him. was talking to Davey on the phone yesterday. <laughs> he's fucking used to hate him. I don't understand why. Well, he used to hate the Smiths too, and then he came around on that band. So he, 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 I have to give him credit. He does, uh, come back with his opinions and change his mind, which a lot of people don't do. So, uh, anyway, but yeah, he met, met David Lynch and, uh, cause I always thought the, the, the synergy between our friend Will and David Lynch is, is uncanny because, uh, they both grew up in Spokane. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. They both. They both uh, attended AFI, the American Film Institute, down okay. in Hollywood, and they're both Eagle Scouts. Oh, really? <laughs> David Lynch is an Eagle Scout? So uh, Will said, came I guess when he talked to him, he said, oh, yeah, I'm from Spokane, too. And David Lynch just got such a kick out of that. He says, I haven't met anybody in this town from Spokane ever, except for you. <laughs> You know, I could just totally see it. That's a good impression. Oh, I've, well, I've been working on my David Lynch over the years. It's it's not. I could really refine it, but well, uh, I've been thinking if we, if one of us can come up with a a convincing uh, impression, we could do like a cut to a phone interview we did earlier in the day with a famous person. So I'll interview you well, as David Lynch sometime next time we do a film. David Lynch is kind of easy. He shouts quietly. That's how you do David Lynch. You just shout quietly. You sh- you shout with your indoor voice as if you're having a conversation. So, you know, uh, he kind of gave that away when he was uh, playing a character on Twin Peaks. I think he was Detective. God, was it Gordon? Yeah. I think it might have been. That's interesting. Two Detective Gordons. Ah, 
Yeah, there you go. So that was uh, a good name for a detective. I just used it again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's in the Batman mythos as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Son of a bitch. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I I perfected my David Lynch after that. Um, after after his appearances in the second season mm. of Twin Peaks, which people all had an opinion about for some fucking fucking stupid reason. I was like, oh, it just went down after the first season. I was like, the first season was like seven episodes long. It was hardly a first season, you know, mm. but I don't know, purists, whatever. So, uh, yeah, met David Lynch. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, we're talking about still on Frank, right? I think we, I think we got down. I think we got to the bottom. Is that it? Frank. Is that all there is to Frank? I just think, he's some yeah, he's, obsessed he's alien. Nuts, he would stay away from that guy. N- uh, the other fucker. major question that this movie uh, raises is uh, here, it's described in this uh, outtake. Man, I like Heineken. You like <laughs> Heineken? Uh, well, I never really had Heineken before. You never had Heineken before? My dad drinks Bud. King of beers. It's King of beers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, the whole Heineken angle. I think that's what gives this movie its... Uh, it's 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 quotable references. Well, it's I think it has to do with the dialogue that Lynch writes. I mean, something about that interaction just really tickles me. I don't know what it is. I think it's the pacing. It's sort of a there's sort of a languid pace where you feel like somebody's really having a conversation. I mean, they're talking about beer. They're just making small talk. Right. And the other part that I really enjoy is in our intro sequence where Sandy goes one, two, three. Four, right. That is just yeah, yeah. that just fucking makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. There's, there's something scene... about that. There's a musicality in the dialogue that uh, I don't think anybody else has other than Lynch. There's a scene in Lost Highway, our first podcast, which I don't recommend listeners go back and listen to. We 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 were a little rough back then, but uh, there's a scene where Patricia Arquette does a knock, like she goes. I'm going to knock this way or something mm-hmm. uh, when they're setting up the, uh, I don't know, the the hit or whatever or the robbery at that porn producer's place. And she does the knock kind of the same way, like, I'm going to do the horn honk, like Laura, Dun- Laura Dern does the horn honk, where you're like, okay, and then I'll, I'll, I'll honk like this. And then Patricia Arquette says, then I'll knock like this. And then you have to wait through her, like, you know, knocking three times or whatever the hell it is in that film. It's yeah, I mean, kinda, he wants you to listen to it. Well, it's, it's, very, it's it, very poetic. David Lynch sort of a master of the awkward. Uh, he loves it. I think he really enjoys teasing you with awkwardness. I, I just don't see it as if that's what he's going for. I think he's strictly going for the pace and the feel, like you would feel a bass line in a song. Those two things seem very similar to me. You're sort of riding along with the words. It's going boop, 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 boop. Well, just that's, to, that's how it affects me. I don't feel awkward about it. Well, I mean, but a conversation about Heineken that goes on a sentence or two long in yeah. a film. I don't yeah, know. That's it just what feels I'm like he's about. getting into it. Well, I'm just, yeah, I know. But it's, it's, it's uh, like a quotable vignette. It's just something. It's like a flourish. Uh, it is a it is a little uh, bit of a flourish, a strange flourish, like an but it's an enjoyable flourish. flourish. Well, I love awkwardness. I mean, awkwardness mm. is kind of enticing, right? Because it 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 gives you uh, 
puts a human element into what you're watching because most of everything you watch in film is all highly stylized, rehearsed, and it doesn't have any sort of improv feel. Well, I don't, about I don't, it. Do you feel like there's improv in this movie? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that there's... The, there's like a, a weird attention to detail that Lynch has to inject some reality, strangely, it even though it's structured. awkward to watch. Uh, it's structured, but it's yeah. it's just it's it's odd. It's just really I think, odd. I think, I think it tickles both. I think it tickles us in different ways, and we're just going to have to agree. Maybe it does to, to disagree. disagree. <laughs> right. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken. Fuck that shit. <laughs> It's such a strong opinion about Heineken too. That's what I love about that scene. It's such a, I, I think it's a strong opinion of anything other than perhaps Blue Ribbon that Frank really takes issue with. Right? Two two beers I hate. <laughs> you know what? Pabst ain't bad. I'll say that, and I'll uh, I'll say that uh, non ironically. I know. Look, I, I know like my I like my Pabst, Pilsners, but Pabst is not a not a good version. Get it? You can get a picture of get a picture picture of Pabst. Just uh, off of the keg. Don't get it out of the can. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think I could do the Pepsi challenge. Well, okay. uh, I will say that I would rather have a Paps than a Heineken. Yeah, fucking Heineken. It's terrible. Fucking Heineken. Fuck that shit. No, it is terrible. I don't know what... It's like... mm, It's just... I could just... When I drink Heineken, I can... I, I, I can feel that sensation of what it's like to throw up Heineken. By drinking too much, you know. You know, that, it reminds me just how pissed I was with the Daniel Craig 007 movies that he's drinking Heineken instead of his yeah. martinis. I know. Really? I mean, it, they switched it, him over it's to Heineken? fine that he's drinking beer, but why did it fucking have to be Heineken? Uh, Could have been Bitburger or something? Or maybe Spot. fucking, how about a nice English beer? How about Spot and Optimator? How about a good German beer? You know, something real like Bitburger or something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I have no idea. I don't get it. I don't either. So, <laughs> but uh, Paps Blue Ribbon, yeah, that's uh, that's Frank's drink. You there? A little bit oh. of uh, awkward silence. Yeah, sorry. Or was I heard, it just I, I, was I just hitting some beats? No, 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 no. There was like a weird ping. Sorry, listeners. So, do we want to go in a different direction? Trip. Yes, let's go in a different direction. So, I think probably the most important, uh, and I have a couple of examples to illustrate what I'm about to say about this movie is really it's Jeffrey. Right. And it's Jeffrey as the young man who doesn't know what tickles him yet. He doesn't know what his kinks are. He doesn't know what he wants out of life. And he's really curious. I mean, this movie is about the curiosity of Jeffrey and um, his curiosity about two women that he comes across. That's what drives the story without the active nature of Jeffrey and his his drive of a young man to get to the bottom of two women, his Nancy Drew down, down to the bottom jeans. of their vaginas. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I always found there's a couple of interactions that I think sort of summarize sort of Jeffrey's I don't know feelings. So first, let's let's listen to him uh, talk to Sandy once his juices are flowing. Jeffrey, why? I'm seeing something that was always hidden. I'm involved in a mystery. I'm in the middle of a mystery, and it's all secret. You like mysteries that much? Yeah. You're a mystery. 
like you very much. So he's all hot and bothered about both Sandy and um, Dorothy. Well, Sandy's less so what is, of a what is his, what is his attraction to Dorothy? Sandy? Uh, that's a good question. Other than it's it's a young, hot Laura Dern. I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't really know. There, <clears throat> I think that was just a line. I don't think that's anything more than that. Right? Well, it's, it isn't. That's the thing. It's not anything more than that. But yet he's going after her. He's pursuing her. I think maybe Sandy's the one he should be pursuing, and he feels those pressures of society to pursue her. Right. But I mean, then, if you're a young man. There's an attractive young woman that's interested in you. He Certainly needs to blow off some steam. He's under a lot of stress in his lives outside of this whole ear business. And I think he's just, he's doing what comes natural is you try to, you know, you try to become romantically involved with a woman that's interested in you. It's not rocket science, right? Well, right. So, but then there's, there's the Isabella Rossellini, Isabella Rossellini uh, character. Oh, by the way, I, I went to, school with a Mexican exchange student uh, my junior year up at Western. He was a physics student, and uh, he had this total crush on the Spanish exchange student, and she was named Isabella, and he would get some beers in him, and he would close his eyes, and he'd go, Isabella, Isabella. Anyway, I don't know. Hugo never did did, did get a date with her, but it was pretty entertaining, I would say. It's a great name. Isabella. So... I guess it's a little bit of a mystery exactly why he's attracted to uh, either of these women. Let's hear him interact with Dorothy. Why are you here? What do you want? I, uh... I looked for you in my closet tonight. It's crazy, I know. I don't know where you come from, but... I like you. It's not crazy. I like you too. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, he tells, I mean, the only one he has sex with is Dorothy. Right. And the only one he tells he loves is Sandy. I mean, he actually says he loves her at one point. Yeah. In the movie. I think it's just, I think Lynch is exploring something here about young attraction in the Jeffrey character. I think, I think that's the major it seems to me that that's the main thing he's exploring with this film is Jeffrey. Is he not? Well, yeah, no. It no, starts with is, Jeffrey and it ends with Jeffrey. This is totally Jeffrey's journey. And as you're taking this journey with Jeffrey, you're asking all those questions that he's asking himself, like, should I really uh, take this any further? Should I, you know, go try to get into her apartment? Uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, he has this attract this attraction this fascination this obsession with well he doesn't have that obsession with dorothy at the beginning it's more just a curiosity yeah right? yeah and it's weird because i don't think i would have the impetus there at the beginning to chase it down especially if i found a severed human ear in a field and it led you wouldn't to... uh go to your dad's hardware store and get a <laughs> get a set of coveralls and one of those uh pressure sprayers and go spray some water around uh, some <laughs> woman you don't know his apartment in the, in the intent of being able to break into that apartment later yeah no see that just that, you worked that at a rental store did, did you never get something from there to go do something untoward did you ever like uh 
get like a backhoe and go flip over a couple of cop cars with it just for fun <laughs> on a Saturday night? That sounds like fun. That would have no, been a good idea. I should have hit you up for that. I did crush a porcelain toilet once with a bulldozer. So that oh. was pretty. Uh, well, it was this and grain. was on it. it's another story i'll mention that one later but uh no i was bored and there was this uh grange i don't know grange is still fucking around anymore they're like farmers co-ops it's sort of like a church without the steeple right and uh, there's one in in town and it was shared a gravel lot with the rental yard and for some reason they had put a toilet out in the the gravel lot like they were doing a remodel or something and then it was just sitting there waiting to waiting to go to wherever toilets go to die <laughs> i was i was i was wheeling around the 450g you know the uh the, the big huge fucking bulldozer which oh i know the 450g oh yeah i mean it's no 451g but it gets the job done it's a big fucking piece of machinery with tank tracks it's fun as a as a 18 year old driving a gigantic uh, bulldozer around there's some kind of weird power juice that goes through you that you just want to take it out onto the streets and start running over cars it's just it's it's very enticing and so i was wheeling this thing around and i this toilet had been there all week and i was like what the fuck are they doing with this toilet and so i just fucking just fucking cranked over the the track with uh right over the toilet just totally ran that bitch over just what was, what was left of the toilet nothing it turned to powder <laughs> It, it just seriously, like a full, uh, I don't know how many tons that goddamn bulldozer was, but I went like a full track length over the top of it, and I looked back, and it was just, it looked like white gravel. The thing was just gone. Did anybody just, go, what happened to that toilet? <laughs> I think they noticed the white patch where it had oh, been. didn't sweep it up. Yeah. No, no, it was in the gravel. I mean, it oh, just I turned it, it turned it to white gravel. It turned it to nothing. <laughs> It was amazing. I was just stunned at how much it had completely destroyed, uh, annihilated, literally, that toilet. So, uh, it's too bad. This is pre-YouTube. That would have been a nice little video. Uh, anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, doing oh. something torrid with uh, uh, taking advantage of your job. Yeah. <laughs> to get so, inside some woman's apartment. All right. So I guess I'm a little accused about uh, Jeffrey's motivation. So other than this young man. And he's curious. It's about his curiosity, I guess. I guess, but... I mean, you're curious about love. You're curious about the relationships people have. He's curious about the dark side of the world. I mean, he's curious about his ability to be violent. Right. Well, it's... It's it's, it's, a, it's fe- an exploration. And I think everybody needs to explore those sort of aspects. I mean, I mean it's like... Um, early on, when you're having sex, you want to try a bunch of crazy shit. Right. Okay. Mark does. And after you try it, you find out what you like, which is usually, you know, pretty straightforward sexual intercourse. And you don't really, you know, need to be pounding on the anus all the time and (laughs) stuff like that. Right. Sure. Uh, So, (laughs) I mean, it's important to explore all those things when you're a young man. I mean, you should know whether he likes his partner wants to be choked or something like that while they're having sex. Well, that was the weird one. That's when he started crying. Right. Because he remembered like uh smacking dorothy right it's not his thing but he had you have to you have to find out right you have to go try it that's part of being a young man that's part of being a young person 
see, but that's the difference between me and Jeffrey is there's like a fear curiosity quotient, right? That, you know, you, you, you take your curiosity as far as you can get until the fear kicks in and then you back it off. But and, if you happen to come into some sort of sexual affair with an older woman when you're 19 or 20 and she wanted you to smack her around a little bit while you had sex, you'd probably give it a go. And maybe it wouldn't be your thing and, you know, an affair like that probably wouldn't last very long anyways, but you try it. Well, there's that, but then there's the all, you know, can, like keep he keeps going down the rabbit hole. Uh, I guess he gets caught up with He Frank. doesn't really he, go very far. I mean, things sort of turn to shit pretty quick. Well, I know, but he, like, fucking punches Frank. I mean, that... Yeah, but Frank that, had it coming. There was nothing yeah. weird about that. He just got pissed. He saw red. I mean, how much uh, could... How long could you be teased by Frank before you'd knock him in the schnoz? Uh, could you, would you really never become so angry even though... See, that was the... Met your a punishment of a hundredfold? Upon no, actually, that scene was that that scene was pretty interesting because I I I because you're being held captive by a bunch of fucking goons and you're at their mercy. Yet Frank pisses you off so much, you just take a punch at him. Uh, just it's just like you don't care what the consequence. You don't care if he you take he takes you out and shoots you. Somewhere. It was done There's, in anger, but who knows? You're getting taken out to the countryside. What's going to happen? No, that's true, right? Yeah, I think pretty much if I'm, if I'm get a bunch of thugs taking me into a car and driving to the country, probably not going to turn out for the. They're not going to go show me a dead body. Wasn't that cool? Let's get back into town. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Especially after they took a couple of pot shots at me. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they're not going to bring you to this place. Have you ever been to Pussy Heaven? <laughs> well, what he said. No, no, hadn't been to pussy heaven. <laughs> well, who? I mean, who hasn't really? <laughs> who, who, he hasn't. He hasn't been to pussy heaven. Uh, who hasn't? I guess. Yeah, that's pretty. Well, he had just odd. had sex with the Isabella Rossellini the night before, so maybe he had been to pussy heaven. Maybe it was yeah. a little disturbing so, for him. At what point would you have stopped uh, the Jeffrey? Uh, I guess uh, timeline. When, when would you have? Your curiosity would have just stopped and would have been in the ear. I think that's where I would have stopped. I mean, somebody leaves an ear and you bring it to a family friend who's the police detective. And he goes, cool, man, I'll uh, I'll let you know about it. But right now it's all in the DL. So and well, I, he's got to take care of his is his mother even there. His dad's in the hospital. Yeah on a ventilator he's right. got to watch over the family business seems like he's got enough stuff on his plate yeah i well i plus he's well, probably he, missing college and he hits up uh sandy for more info from her dad right and then that's when sandy coughs up the uh, information about uh the woman that's been under surveillance mm-hmm. uh but then i would have been like oh okay that's crazy you know i think i i, I wouldn't have cared much beyond that point, you know. Like, who's um, here? Why I is mean, it there? You might you might be a little curious. But I'd probably be curious in a more passive fashion, other than trying to get into an apartment under subterfuge. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty bold move, but it's a young man's move, I guess. Yeah. Plus, it so. gets Sandy interested. I don't think she'd be very interested with him if he wasn't sort of a bad boy. So, is there anything we're missing about Blue Velvet? I mean, it's like a ninety-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's classic. it's a good movie. A little slow to get started. Uh, I do have one more question for you. So here it is. Okay. You know what a love letter is? 
Do you yeah. know what a love letter is? It's man? a bullet to your fucking head, fucker. Let's see. Let's see. It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. Oh, you're very close. <laughs> you know, his use of call- the word fuck, calling people fucks, I don't think that's done enough. Maybe it's an East Coast thing. I don't know. But uh, fuck is a very worthy adjective or worthy I, noun for, like for some individuals. Cunt's pretty good, but but just calling somebody a fuck, uh, it's very fleeting. Calling somebody a fuck, I don't think I would. If somebody called me a fuck, I think I would uh, brush it off very quickly. You think so? Cunt, cunt would stick a little bit, you don't hear bit more. It. I don't know. Maybe it's time for a comeback. It's just a fun. It's funny, like calling somebody a fucking fuck. It's just. It's like it's 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 uh, onomatopoeia or something. It's funny. All right. Well, let's go read Ebert's review and see if we call him a fucking fuck. Ebert reviewed this movie back on September 19th, 1986. Gives it one star. Wow. Amazingly enough, I really enjoyed this review. And it got it's me thinking, a, well, It's not really a bad review. No. That's, that's the odd thing. Well, it's he pans the movie, but the I think the, the writing... Well, I don't agree with it entirely. I think he makes a lot of good points. So let's go ahead and start. I'll read the first couple of paragraphs here because I think they sum up his feelings uh, pretty well. Blue Velvet contains scenes of such raw emotional energy that it's easy to understand why some critics have nailed it as a masterpiece. A film this painful and wounding has to be given special consideration. And yet those very scenes of stark sexual despair are the tip off of what's wrong with the movie. They're so strong that they deserve to be in a movie that is sincere, honest, and true. But blue velvet surrounds them with a story that's marred by sophomoric satire and cheap shots. The director is either denying the strength of his material or trying to diffuse it by preventing, pretending it's all part of a campy in joke. Now I think when he got down to the end where he's just sort of taking pot shots at the movie with calling it campy and calling it a bunch of cheap shots, I can't agree with that. But there is a part where this movie is does have very stark scenes of sexual despair. And the movie is a little light surrounding those. I, th- I think there's I think maybe he's getting at something that I think is missing from this film. OK, the. Okay. So going into this further, he says the movie has two levels of reality. The first one being the the Lumberton bit with sort of a 50s pastiche. Is that the right word? Yeah, that's good. Um, And the other being the sexual bondage of uh, Isabella Rossellini in the happenings with Frank and the the kidnapping of her husband and son. And the fact that she finds uh, a deep vein of love for masochism. With the right. position she's been put in. Well, I mean, okay, so the thing I've always be, been told about, like, sexual trauma is, like, the victims need to recreate it. I, 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 it's it's something that I don't really understand. I don't think many people understand about human nature. Why, uh, like, sexually abused women who are, like, sexually abused at an early age seek out abusers in later uh, late, later life it's it, it's it's really weird and so you get that here where we she, get that here i don't see where you're talking about event that happens in their early life they play it out in their later no no, life? no i'm not t- well i mean that's the that's the 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 the, the typical 
Uh, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I'm not. I think yeah. there's probably some truth in there. I think it's sort of a common well, conception of society well, at large. It's it's it seems absurd, but that's that's the way it rolls, and so you get that here. But how does that apply yeah. to Isabella Rossellini? Well, because Frank's raping her. Yes. Day in day out. Yeah. And when Kyle or Jeffrey uh, has sex with her, she asks him to smack her around. Yeah. Because that's she's found it. She enjoys. I don't know if she enjoy. I don't know if she enjoys it so much as as she uh, seeks it out like a trauma victim seeks out reliving the trauma. I don't really well, see what, that I as. I don't see that as so weird. I, I don't see that as as strange. Well, I think that's what Ebert's saying. He's saying this sexual bondage, which is told with a level of cold blooded realism, it really needs to be explored more. And the movie gives it sort of, it shows this terrible, you know, this terrible dark place that uh, Dorothy finds herself in with Frank. But it gives it, it sort of treats it, it treats it very quickly. It just shows it and then it moves on with the storyline. And it yeah. doesn't, I, I think it has a, a depth to it that I think Eber says it needed to be explored more. If you're going to be this hard and cold and frank about Frank, that... It really needs you need to delve deeper in it. You just can't bounce to the next part of the story. I, I don't know. I mean, there. isn't it more shocking just to be have it be a drive by? You know? <laughs> well, he he does say that. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's wanting something different out of this movie. But um, all right. Well, he brings up Last Tango in Paris, which I've watched. I've watched, but I don't remember much. I just remember what's her name sticking her fingers up. Uh, Marlon Brando's ass and yeah. saying nasty shit. But I mean, everybody's, I mean, uh, anal stimulation is pretty hot. I mean, whatever. Everybody I, it, tries it. Yeah. I, I don't know if he was comparing the movies, but he was, I think he was he saying said, how that. When you go down the, a dark hole of sexuality, that, that movie gets it, gets to the heart of it better than this movie does. And I think, I think he's probably right there. Yeah. But that's not what I think of. I don't, that's not why I watch blue velvet over. Again, it's not because of uh, its, I guess, graphic depiction of masochistic sex. That's not why I watch it. I watch it because it's, uh, I like the David Lynch atmosphere that's created with the film. The uh, strange otherworldly characters that are definitely of this world, but like nobody you'd ever meet. You know, that's well, then what I like you can't about conflate this movie to be a great piece of artwork discussing sadomasochism well that's not what it's about in my opinion i, I guess think some could... people have a, maybe have a feeling about it eh, all right you know but that's i mean it, it's it's part of the milieu of david lynch it all just kind of flows together and he you know every one of his movies has some really dark sexual aspect to it that uh i would say is human in nature it definitely deals with some raw nerves about uh sexuality and jealousy and uh you know uh, like Twin Peaks dealt with with like horrific incest, uh, but it's it deals with, it deals with it a little fancifully. I mean, I just have to agree where you know he Ebert says the sequences where you know the sex, the sadomasochistic encounter with Hopper, and the the sort of her desire to be beaten by McLaughlin, that they have great power and. Uh, Ebert says that um, 
he wished this movie would have followed deeply into the implications of the first shocking encounter between Rossellini and McLaughlin. And uh, I think he just would have preferred it gone down that rabbit hole. And I, I think I feel that way, too. That really? I was less interested with the interaction with Sandy. And I thought it would have been more interesting to explore. Uh, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, uh, Jeffrey sort of ends up denying his feelings and the interaction with, uh, with Dorothy. But and he you, turns his back okay. on it. And I thought let, it would have been an interesting path. That's not the path the movie takes. Well, let me just say. Fine, but I thought it would have been this. a very interesting path. You entertain the expansion of that theme in the film at the expense of seeing Dean Stockwell seeing Roy Orbison into a fucking trouble lamp. That's what you would possibly be giving up by doing that. And to, to sacrifice something like that that is so fucking awesome is to tamper with 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 greatness. I, 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 th- I know what you're saying. I got Ebert has one line here that I think is going to really turn you around. He sums it up about how he feels about this movie moving away from the Dorothy uh, uh, Jeffrey interaction. He says it this about uh, about the movie moving in a different direction. He said, "I didn't need the director prancing on with a top hat and cane." Whistling, whistling that it was all in fun. I think that that's really deep stuff. I'm just, I'm just joking there. <laughs> that's a cheap fuck? shot. Yeah. Well, he always does that with movies that he doesn't like. He doesn't particularly like. He just kind of, he you know, does an ad hominem. On I see it where he's coming it. from, but he's doing it. He's starting to shovel. A little well, bullshit. but like I said, he's trying, he's trying to bury his point in bullshit. Like I said, if you remove, if you put another, I guess, uh, deep traumatic scene of Frank and, and and Dorothy at the expense of something like Dean Stockwell. Uh, I wouldn't watch this movie again. Just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. You know, it's not worth it. I, I watch it because I want to see Dean Stockwell sing the candy colored clown. They call the Sandman into a fucking trouble lamp higher than a kite. That's what, that's, that, that's what makes this movie great. You know, yeah. um, a little early in review, I, this is this sort of reminded me of something I thought I thought was pretty funny. I'd forgotten about this. The film opens with sort of the idyllic scenes of Lumberton, and then uh, uh, Jeffrey's dad has a heart attack or something and falls down on the ground. And then the yeah. and then the uh, film the goes dog. down into the grass until you yeah, see like bugs. a bunch of beetles like fighting, you know, for no, no. dominion over the the turf. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of sort of that heavy-handed scene and. Uh, in a Lost Highway, where you see the shots of the Black Widow, when oh, the yeah. main characters finally understand he's copped in this trap of this succubus, and yeah. uh, is a little heavy-handed when you think about it. It's funny; it washed over me, and I didn't think about it again. The same thing happened uh, in uh, Lost Highway till we discussed it, and you see how it's such a blunt instrument of analogy. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, and so, uh, aside from that. Eber has one other main problem with the film. And it's funny. He actually talks about it uh, during um, at the movies with uh, uh, Ebert and uh, oh, he does. Siskel. Yes, back when Siskel was still alive. And the funny thing about it is that was actually one of the special features on the DVD. I don't know really? what DVD you have. But the one I got from Netflix had it on there. Took a couple of clips okay, about this fashion. Listen. And this is about he didn't like what um, uh, Isabel Rossellini was made to do 
in the film. But he yeah. asked Isabella Rossellini in this movie to be undressed and humiliated on the screen, as few actresses ever have been, certainly in non-porno roles. The more I thought about it... Oh, non-porno, he had to point that one out. And that's painful to me to see a woman treated like that, and I want to know that if I'm oh. feeling that pain, it's for a reason that the movie has, other than simply to cause pain to her. Well, I think you really oh. agreed with that and enjoyed it, huh? Oh, God, what a fucking... He's a little bit of a bleeding heart, isn't he? What a fucking bleeding heart. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, Ebert, savior of all Hollywood actresses and humiliating <laughs> roles. Here, here. Uh, and that's the man who wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Exactly. Yeah, we should review that fucking movie. Oh, uh, that cracked me up. I think that sums it up nicely. So, he had a couple of points. I see what he meant, but he too a little too much bullshit in this review. Uh, a little too much of himself in that review, I think. No, that's part of uh, his right. charm. I know. All right. All right. So next week, what are we doing? Oh, oh, that's right. Next week. We're continuing yeah. the Dan O'Bannon-a-thon, which Dan I think O'Bannon-a-thon. our public is really, they're just going, oh, man. Why do we keep having to do Matt movies in, in between the Dan yeah, O'Bannon-a-thon? Right. I really Dan prefer O'Bannon. if Matt just sat back and knew that this movie had to go <laughs> all the way to episode 200, nothing but Dan O'Bannon. Uh, and so we will continue along the Dan O'Bannon path with another movie that uh, he was one of the writers on, and that's uh, the classic movie Alien from yeah, 19-something or other. I don't think we're going to get any people uh, dis- disagreeing with that choice or arguing uh, for for less Dan O'Bannon. Well, they can just wait till the Alien. next movie in my Dan O'Bannon with on. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Aliens next week. I don't, I don't know what you're saying. No, Alien. Alien. Oh, yeah, Alien. We already did Aliens. That's right. This is Alien. Uh, 1979, I believe. I oh, believe it was 1979. Ago. Yeah, Ridley Scott. So I'm looking forward to that. Haven't seen it in a while. So uh, until then. This is it.